The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord for us. Sorry, just a minute. Little talk bubbles, I know. Okay. Oh, no, he just responded. Ever been to coffee with someone like this? Maybe you're here today with someone like this. <laughs> Obsessed with the phone. Not paying attention to what is in front of them. Not being connected. I kind of feel like the zombie apocalypse is already here. And it just looks like this. I think it was, uh, I don't know how long ago, I, I remember showing a montage here of like people walking into things with, <laughs> with their cell phones, like people walking into fountains, and uh, wasn't there a bear in one of those? Like, the zombie apocalypse is here, and that's what it looks like. I, I go, what would it be like if they remade the, the classic film, The Breakfast Club, today? It would be a silent film. <laughs> it would be two hours of kids on their phones. And so I just, I just marvel at like how things have changed in our culture. Things have changed a great deal. Uh, it was the 2018 Super Bowl, and there was this kid who, during the halftime performance, he's on live TV. I think this is Justin Timberlake, who's the like, performer. He's right next to this superstar, and what is he doing? He's on his phone. And you go, what are you... What are you doing? This is bizarre. I, I did uh, catch, though, that some cities have come up with a pretty awesome solution to the problem of people being distracted and on their phones and like, walking into traffic. This is in New York City. The seeing eye person. <laughs> the seeing eye person. Okay, so I am tethered to you, and you're going to take me down to the wherever I need to go, my workplace or whatever, so then I can do... What do you suppose she's doing, by the way? Emailing? I don't even know. Texting? Any ideas? What would you be doing if you were walking and looking at your phone? What would you be doing? Okay, none of you have phones. All right, sorry. Um, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming today. It's been great to gather and worship. No. I don't know what you're doing on your phones. I do, I do a variety of things on mine. I don't know what you do on yours. I'm not sure what that girl is doing on hers. And it's not just about the cell phone usage, right? I need to be clear about this. We're, we're going to talk about connection today and, and how important it is for human interaction and connection. And technology is wonderful and great when we leverage it toward that end, but it can be very detrimental when it actually keeps us disconnected from others. The selfie. 
This was Oxford Dictionary's 2013 Word of the Year. Selfie. I don't think we've ever recovered from that. <laughs> so when you see a picture uh, like this, this is, this is a woman and she's out with the love of her life. You know, they're just having a sweet moment together until you realize... What is that? That is not a human. It's sort of some sort of robot arm holding onto her phone. Yeah, it's some sort of like selfie stick that's shaped like a hand. Everywhere you go, people are taking selfies. Like you can't, you, you can't even go to church without the pastor pulling out his phone and going, look, here's everybody. Oh, look, we got some empty seats right over in this section right here. Everybody smile. Does anybody remember how we used to do it, by the way? You're out and about. You're at like a sightseeing destination or something. You want the... How, somebody help me. How did we used to do it? Yeah, we did. We actually did that. <laughs> we actually had an interaction with a real live human being and went, hey, would you... Sure. And then we handed them like this camera. <laughs> You'd get the, you remember the disposable cameras you'd get before you took a trip like to the Grand Canyon and you'd have to wind it before every picture? You had no idea how the picture turned out. But, but it's interesting, like things have just changed so much. You don't do that anymore. I think that happened last Sunday. We, you know, we, we had people taking Easter photos in the, in the foyer. We were asking others to take our picture. But if you're out in the wild, you don't do that anymore. I see selfies, selfie, selfie, selfie galore. But it was just totally normal to hand a, a stranger your, your camera and go, hey, would you get a picture of us? We, we're at the Grand Canyon or, we're, you know, we're, we, want a, we want a family picture. Now I see people in their bathroom all alone <laughs> taking 713 pictures. I, I don't even think we should call it a selfie. I think we should call it a lonely. <laughs> so today we're starting a brand new sermon series. And it's called relationship goals. You know, maybe you know what your relationship goals are, or maybe you've never even given them any thought. Well, either way, this series, over these next four weeks, we're going to be challenged together to grow strong, healthy, God-honoring relationships with one another. We're going to learn that God is indeed the foundation of all of our relationships. It's only because of God that we can love Him and love one another. So I'm just thrilled that you're with us today. I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. We live in a culture where people are just aching for connection. They're longing for deep, meaningful relationships with one another. And yet, uh, in so many ways, we're more disconnected than ever. And we're isolated and we're lonely. In fact, in a little bit, I'll talk uh, even more uh, in more great detail about how we're hardwired for relationships. We're, desi we're designed that way, and yet we often struggle. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about relationships. In fact, probably most famously, the words of our Lord Jesus from Matthew 22, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He says that is the first and greatest commandment. 
And he says the second is like it, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. That's relationship, my friends. It's relationship with God and relationship with others. And really, there's nothing more important in life than a relationship with God. And there's really, secondly, nothing more important than healthy relationships with others. And yet so many of us feel disconnected. We feel isolated and alone. There's a recent survey. This included over 20,000 Americans. This was conducted by Cigna Healthcare, and it just revealed a bunch of startling facts and statistics about the disconnectedness of those in our nation. 46% of Americans report feeling alone. And by the way, this is a a study that was replicated and and doubled. Um, That number has doubled in the last 50 years. 46% of Americans say they feel alone. Let me me share just a few other things that I pulled from this this report. 43% say they feel like their relationships are not meaningful. 20% say they rarely or never feel close to people. 47%, this is almost half of our nation, say they rarely or never have meaningful in-person interactions with others. Almost half of those in our Countries say they almost never have meaningful in-person interactions with others. And one more, 13% say zero people know them well. So when you go, how many people in your life know you well? 13% say that number is zero. No one knows me well. Now, maybe these statistics surprise you. They sort of did to me. Or maybe you're like, no, I know that all too well. I would have answered that exact same way. Like, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those statistics. I don't feel connected. Maybe you feel the reality of that, the loneliness, the isolation, the disconnection. And really, we've all been there at one time or another. At one point or another, we've all been in that place where you feel alone. You feel like no one cares. You feel like no one understands you. What I'm hoping that we see together today as we study the scriptures is that God's design for us is connectedness. It's relationship with him and it's being in deep relationship with one another. And so I would say to us today at the onset of this sermon series, it's time to set some relationship goals. It's time to establish what it is that we want to accomplish by God's hand and by God's design. Uh, Because they're not just going to happen on their own. So we're going to start at the beginning in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Chapter 2, this is where Alicia read for us a few minutes ago. Genesis chapter 2, after the world is created, God God creates all all of the created order, the cosmos, the, the animals, and then he creates the first human, Adam. So then in, in verse 18... We see the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. I'm reading from the NIV, by the way. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock. That's pretty awesome, by the way. That's probably not preached on uh, enough. Like, how cool. He, he, he had the companionship of all these like sort of pets and animals, and he, and he named them all. But, so we're in chapter, uh, verse 20 rather, Genesis chapter 2. But, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So right from the get-go, we see this, that, that humans are designed 
not to be alone. In this newly created world, God is sort of stepping back, admiring his handiwork, and he's saying, it is good. God says it over and over and over of the created order that it is good, but then he sees Adam all by himself, and he says, oh, that's not good. Now, thankfully, God has the remedy. (laughs) So in verse 21, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Okay, quick aside, ladies. Since the dawn of humanity, men have been falling into a deep sleep, okay? Just let it go. Give us our sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. It's really a beautiful passage and a beautiful story. And Danny Hershberger told me a joke just recently about a little boy who had some pain and he was complaining and his parents said, do you you think you have a stomach ache? And he said, no, I think I'm having a wife. (laughs) He'd just been to his Sunday school class. So thank you, Danny. He's He's got more. By the way, he's got lots more. In the Hebrew, what Adam actually says here rhymes. It's like a poem. It's like a song. It rhymes. It's beautiful. Think about about this. How wonderful and amazing and beautiful is this? The first recorded words of a human is a poem, a song that's celebrating, I'm no longer alone. It's amazing. And don't miss the, the, the verse right before Adam's song of, of, you know, no longer being alone. It says that God brought her to the man. God, it's God's doing. It's God's design. And it's here that we see something true right in the beginning that's true throughout the entire Bible. And that is that God is our provider. And that he loves to give good gifts to his children. We see that over and over and over, and we proclaim that today, that God is good, that God is our provider, and he loves to give good gifts to his kids. And listen, I don't think that this passage is just talking about marriage. So for, the, for those of you that are single or you're not yet married, this is not just a sermon. This is not just a sermon series that's for those married couples or for people in love. This is, this is God's design for humanity. This is not exclusive to the husband and wife scenario. This is companionship, friendship. It's the solution to the loneliness dilemma. It's something that God himself provides because he knows we were never intended to do life alone. But we were intended and created to do life together in community, to know and to be known. And here's what's cool. God models this for us. We're Trinitarian. We believe God exists in three persons, three in one. And so even in the triune Godhead, we see three distinct persons, all each distinct and yet in relationship with the others. God models community for us in the triune Godhead. It's amazing. This is God's design. So a few verses later, we're in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. 
We read that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And again, it's beautiful because you go, they were just accepted. They were loved. They were valued. They were embraced. They had vulnerability without shame. So this is our original design. This is what deep down we're all wired for, to be connected to each other, to be connected with God. But very quickly, (laughs) connection was severed. Very quickly, things went awry. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the serpent emerges. So in verse 1, the serpent comes into the garden and sort of subtly plants a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. The serpent says, did God really say that? He's questioning God's goodness. And isn't it interesting that really throughout history, the temptation the fall of humanity in the garden has been depicted with an apple. Now, we don't know if it was an apple or some other kind of fruit, but I'm like, really, an apple? I don't know. Does an apple really tempt anyone? <laughs> maybe a mango. I mean, if we've we got to come up with some sort of fruit, like maybe a pineapple, something really tropical and sweet, but really it's probably more like chocolate cake. <laughs> the apple being the icon of temptation, I'm not sure. Cover it in caramel, get back with me. <laughs> But here's the thing, it's not about the apple. It's about questioning God's goodness. It's about, really, do you know better than God? And that's what the serpent does by, by planting that seed of doubt. But by, by suggesting, I don't know if you should believe that God is good. So then in verse 2, it says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. So the serpent is accusing God of, of withholding good things from Adam and Eve. We know that's not true. God longs to give good gifts to his children. Verse 4, You will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the focus is on her. You want what you want. And God's trying to keep that from you, so just take it. So you know as well as I do. They disobey. (laughs) So this is the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, by the way, if you're following along in your Bible. Adam and Eve disobey. They eat the forbidden fruit, whatever it was. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked So I hid. So humans, each and every one of us, created for intimate connection with God, to walk with in loving relationship and fellowship with God and with each other, they now recognize, based on their sin and disobedience, their vulnerability. And so what do they do? They hide. They try to hide. They go from... Walking with God to hiding from God. And we know that that sin has consequences. 
We know it certainly did for this couple who was experiencing paradise in the Garden of Eden, who had the companionship of of all the animals and who ate the delicious fruit. And we know that based on their sin, there was consequence. They could no longer be in that place. That that the the work of, of toiling the soil and raising crops would be much harder. That that the the uh, childbirth would be much more painful and difficult and challenging. So it's going to go from this beautiful place of here, kitty, 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 meow, meow. All of a sudden, they're in the wilderness, hearing the roars of lions and jackals. So things change when we disobey and when we sin. And we see here in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are hiding from God. And I would submit to us today, we've been hiding ever since. We've been hiding ever since. There are a lot of ways we hide. We hide from God, we hide from others. We hide from these intimate, deep, connected relationships. Because we don't want to be vulnerable. We we don't want to be seen. One of those, by the way, is busyness. Have you ever noticed how terse most of your conversations are? How are you? Good. (laughs) Isn't that most of your conversations? I've had that conversation 30 times already today. Let's do a protracted version. How are you? Good. Staying busy? Yep. Good. (laughs) Uh, Like that's like 95% of our conversations. It's this, it's this, I'm busy, I got to keep moving, surface level, right? We, we hide behind our busyness. And listen, we work hard, and that's good. God has given us work to do. And, and, and there's something meaning-filled about, about working hard and, and going to bed tired in the evening. So I'm not saying we should be lazy. We work hard, yes, but then I feel like we can fill our lives with, with activity and commotion and noise, and it becomes a way of hiding from others. We hide with busyness. I think we also hide with humor. I know I do this. No, keep things light. Divert the attention. As soon as things start to get a, a little personal, a little close, like just crack a joke, make people... This is just how some people cope. It's just how some people are. I always say there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who can count and those who can't. We use distance to hide. Now, th- this could be geographical distance. This could be emotional distance. Distance. This could be physical distance. We're going to move away. We're not going to return the phone call. We're not going to share openly. And listen, I love the fact that really each and every Sunday we gather. You know, we 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 gather for worship and for teaching corporately, but then we break into smaller groups for Sunday school. And I want to encourage you to stay for our Sunday school hour because those are settings where. You know, it's not appropriate for us to share here necessarily. But in that kind of setting, we can cultivate relationships and connections where we truly can share. We can do life together. We, we, we can share openly and honestly what's happening in our world and in our life. And, you know, here's what's really sad and sick about when we use distance to hide ourselves from others is sometimes we retreat from those who care about us. Someone who genuinely is concerned and who loves us, and yet we retreat from them. 
we use distance to hide. Or maybe you hide through religion. I, I know this one seems a little odd. How do you hide through religion? But the truth is, religion can be one of the safest places to hide. Like, like without thinking about it, we can find ourselves behaving a certain way, looking a certain way. We've got the Christian lingo and the Christian look down, right? So, so to our church community, to our church friends, we look like it's all right, it's all together. And yet, maybe on the inside, we feel like we're totally disconnected. Maybe we feel like that person who's like, people who truly know me well, zero. No one really knows me well. You know, hide, hiding through religion can mean you just, you conform. Like, like you follow the rules, you adopt the habits, but your struggles, you keep to yourself. Your fears, your doubts, those are no-no's. So I've got a question for us this morning. And that is, how do we come out of hiding? Because I, I think that's where the healing is. I think that's where the hope is. I think that's where God's design is for each and every one of us. When the Lord was walking in the garden and he called for Adam and Eve, he knew where they were. <laughs> this was not a game of hide and seek. God going, where are those guys? No, the Lord is saying, where are you? The Lord is saying, what are you doing? Why are you hiding? So the question I have for us today is, how do we come out of hiding? How, how do we connect deeply with one another and connect with the Lord the way we're designed to live? And the answer is actually really simple. I'll, un I'll unpack it really with, with the rest of our time together. But the answer is very simple, and that is to stop hiding to stop covering up, to, to allow ourselves to be seen. Simply put, the on-ramp to connection is vulnerability. The on-ramp to connection is vulnerability. So if we long for connection, the only way we're going to find it is when we come out of hiding. Now, I do think we resist vulnerability. Now, I don't even know how you react when you hear that word, but I think for many it's negative. Because we have some misperceptions about what is vulnerability. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time is let, let's expose some myths about vulnerability. And, and then we'll end with some challenges um, because I want each and every one of us to take a healthy step toward connection goals as we want to set healthy relationship goals. So here's the first myth, and that is that vulnerability is weakness. That vulnerability equals, like many of us were raised with this notion that like you got to be strong and you got to be courageous. Probably most of us were raised with that. Be tough, be strong, be courageous. All right, to, to be vulnerable, that's to be weak. And so it's like, it's like be brave, but just don't put yourself out there. But that really doesn't work. In fact, the word courage from Latin means your whole heart. So it's been argued that courage means to tell the whole story of your true self, to tell it with your whole heart. The great Fred Rogers said it this way, the greatest gift you can ever give is to be your honest self. And so are we actually being honest? Are we being our honest self or are we doing this dance because we feel like we need to look like we've got it all together. We need to look like 
There is no struggle. There is no fear. There is no doubt. And part of what I'm talking about here is spiritually too, by the way. Like you're going to have bad days at work. You're, you're going to have times where you're frustrated and angry. You're going to have, you're going to have physical challenges. The, those things, I, I, I feel like those are appropriate and healthy and right to share with those in your circle. And I think we do that or we're starting to do that. Where we really hide is with spiritual struggles. That, that's where we really hide is, is where we start talking about what are the sins that you're struggling with. And again, this is not appropriate for me to ask in the foyer. When we've got hundreds of people passing by. So it's got to be in the right place at the right time. But what I'm talking about is those spiritual struggles where, where you've got a nagging doubt. And you're like, is the Bible really true? Is Jesus really the Savior? Is, is this passage right? What, what about the gospel is, is, is calling me to do something different and it's very uncomfortable and I, it's out of my comfort zone? Those are the things that I'm really talking about. And it takes vulnerability to be able to say those things. To say, you know what, I've been lured back in by this temptation. To say, I am struggling in my spirit with this truth. I've been taught it since I was a kid, but I'm not sure it's true. Here's another myth about vulnerability, and that is, I can go it alone. I don't need you. I don't need nobody. I can go it alone. So again, think of Adam. (laughs) Think of Adam. There he is in paradise, right? He's got bountiful fruit. He's just plucking it off the trees, enjoying it. He's got the companionship of like all of these awesome, exotic, amazing animals and pets. He's, he's the one that gets to give them all their names. He's got meaningful work to do in the garden. And it wasn't even as hard as the work that we do. We, we've got a few farmers in our church family. And you know the challenge of, of tilling the soil and planting the seed. He did those things, but it just wasn't as hard. He didn't have as many thorns and thistles and struggles. So here's Adam, and he's living in paradise. He's got bountiful fruit, meaningful work, pets galore. And yet, the Lord said, nah, this isn't good. Why? Because he needed Eve. He needed companionship. He needed friendship. He needed another human being. He needed to have conversation. He needed someone to do life with. And that is why every week, We heard it from Troy this morning. Every week as we gather in this place, we remind ourselves. What is it that God has called us to be? What is our vision here? It's not just a social club. It's not just a fun place to come on a Sunday morning. It's to become a vibrant community. Vibrancy doesn't happen when we're disconnected and when we're isolated. No, our vision is to become a vibrant community. And that means being deeply connected to others. As we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Check this out. An article in Psychology Today actually says that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but it's connection. Did you catch that? According to Psychology Today, the opposite of addiction, it's not sobriety. It is connection. How biblical. Living the way that we were designed to live. Living by God's plan and God's will for our lives. So you can't go it alone. Even Adam couldn't. He needed Eve and we need each other. Here's another myth and that is that trust comes before vulnerability. Trust comes before vulnerability. In other words, well, after I've given you the thumbs up, after you've proven yourself, then 
we can let the walls down. Then we can openly share. And it's a myth. Now listen, again, I'm not saying spill your guts to anyone you bump into into the streets. That's just not a good idea. But part of vulnerability means taking a little bit of a risk. And so we recognize, like, it is a privilege when someone shares their story or shares their struggle with you. And what happens when they do that is it just tears down those walls between you. And so there's, there's not as much distance. There's greater closeness and connection. What it does is it opens up the opportunity for you to connect more deeply. But you've got to be willing to take that first step. So it's not that trust has to come first and then vulnerability. Because if you, if you live that way, here's what's going to happen. You're just going to keep your distance. You're just going to keep your guard up. It is appropriate at this point for me to say, be wise as you choose those who are in your closest circle. Be wise, especially for our young people, for children, for teenagers, for young adults. Be wise in those that you're choosing and selecting to be in your inner circle and most closely connected with. I'm not saying just whoever you run with, whoever happens to live next to you, whoever you share a class with, whoever's locker is next to you. No. People who love Jesus. People who God has placed in your life. And you're like, man, every time I'm around that person, I feel closer to the Lord. Every time I'm around them, they're like, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? What have you been reading in the Bible? So be wise in who you choose. But listen, when you're vulnerable with others, it's dangerous, but it's worth it. Because here's what happens. You do find people who embrace you. They accept you. They value you. They love you. And then you do. You learn to grow with one another. You, you do grow in your trust with those people. And you depend on each other. So let me offer a few action steps for us. Some challenges uh, as we depart. Uh, I've talked about vulnerability. And again, I think for a lot of us, we... We don't rightly understand that. So I hope I've cleared up some myths about vulnerability and how it's important for us as we long for connection with one another. Let me actually, let me issue four, uh, four challenges. And it's not that you have to do all four, but pick one to do this week. They're doable. <laughs> and you'll talk more about this next hour in Sunday school. So here's the first challenge. Answer people honestly when they ask, how are you? <laughs> this is to be done with people who are close to you, right? Again, I'm not, I'm not talking about people who you happen to have a chance encounter with in the wild. Like, like don't spill your guts to your waitress at Boyd and Worthman's. Like, that's going to have the opposite uh, response of connection. <laughs> Pretty soon it's going to be another waitress. You're like, what happened to... You don't, you, you don't spill your guts to anyone you run into on the streets. But I'm talking about people who genuinely want to know how you are. People that love you and who say, I wanted to check in on you. I want to see how are you doing. Answer honestly. Don't just go to the default response. And we all have one. We all have the, I'm fine, I'm great, I'm awesome, I'm good. We all have that as a, as a default response. Here's what's funny is we can give those while just slowly backing away from the person. You know, yeah, thank you. I'm awesome. All right. No, but answer honestly when someone who cares about you asks, how are you? Don't, 
don't keep perpetuating the lie that everything has to be Pinterest perfect. You know, the, the, the social media version of yourself. Because that is a total facade. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> that? That the social media version of almost anybody is a total facade. It's a total farce. You know, it's, it's uh, my hair is always perfect. My meals are always healthy and delicious. My marriage is always perfect. My house is always tidy. My vacations are always exotic. The sun is always shining on me. Like that, that, that's the Pinterest perfect, like social media version that so many of us propagate. We just try to portray those pretty parts of our life. And then we hide the ones that are uglier. We hide the hurt, the disappointment, the struggle, the fear, the discouragement. We try to hide the really hard days. So when someone asks you how you are, how, how really how you are, are, are you facing any challenges? Answer honestly. I'm talking about this week, the next seven days. And sometimes that sounds like, you know, I'm doing well, but I really have been stressed about fill in the blank. Because I realize not every week is doom and gloom. Not every week is like I am in just the throes of like a struggle right now. But answer honestly, yeah, I, I'm doing well, but you know what? I, this bit, it's been a real challenge. Something in my neighborhood, something in my work, something in my family as parents, <laughs> as teenagers. <laughs> Share openly and honestly. Okay, here's the second challenge for us, and that is to admit a weakness. This one is really tough because, again, we don't want to be vulnerable. We want to be seen as strong and courageous. But, and have you noticed, like, it seems like, again, it's a, it can be a very, a, a facade, a farce. When we, when we give a weakness, but don't you love how some of the time it's really just a humble brag. <laughs> like the, the, you know, the classic, you know, listen, I got a problem, I just work too hard. Listen, yeah, I do, I, I, I got a downfall, and that downfall is I just care too much. It's just my heart is so big, I, have, I just have way too much compassion, it's just overwhelming. Like, share something you're really struggling with. Each and every one of us have a challenge that's in front of us this week. Be willing to admit that weakness. So those are two of the challenges, is answer honestly when someone asks how you're doing. Secondly, admit a weakness. Third is give a compliment. Well, that one feels kind of different from the other two, doesn't it? Like, we, we don't often associate um, being vulnerable with giving a compliment. But really, it's more challenging than you think. And have you ever noticed where it's almost easier to give compliments and accolades to a stranger or to an associate or someone that we're not connected with? And so here's my challenge is those who are in that inner circle of yours, like consider being honest with someone in your family and giving a compliment, very sincere and heartfelt. Tell your sibling something you appreciate about them. Send a text message to that really good friend that you just haven't talked with in a while and just let them know how much you appreciate their friendship. Or, you know, Mother's Day is coming up. <laughs> Do something more than just the token, buy a Mother's Day card and write your name in it. <laughs> like, at least buy a Mother's Day card and write a little note in it. But do something for mom. Don't withhold words that are just filled with life-giving power when you compliment when you say i genuinely appreciate this in you i admire this in you let's be quick to give compliments so that's a challenge for us this week okay uh, one more challenge for us this week and again you don't have to do all of them i do want you to choose one of these four 
This one's probably the hardest of all, and that is to speak up about a hurt. When someone accidentally or even intentionally hurts you, causes offense, says something that hurts you, say so. I'm not saying declare war. I'm not saying put on the boxing gloves. What I'm saying is let it be known that what was said, that what was done stung. That really, that stung. That really hurt. That didn't feel good. Like we're going to get hurt by people. We're going we're gonna to hurt each other. And rather than just bottling it up, holding it in, keeping it in, speak it. Those of you who've done premarital counseling with me know this well. <laughs> this is one of the foundational pieces that I try to put into the lives of young husbands and wives. Is don't just sweep that under the rug, but say, what you did really hurt my feelings. Not because you're going to beat them up over it, because you want to forgive them over it, but speak up about a hurt. Do it with love. Do it with grace. Do it in an appropriate time and place. So I want to challenge each and every one of us to take a step this week, a step toward our relationship goals. And if we do that, I think here's what's going to happen. We're going to grow closer to one another. We're going to grow closer to our relationship goals. We're going to come out of hiding. We're going to be living more fully the life that God has intended for each and every one of us. So in the garden, this was after Adam and Eve sinned, right? So God uh, comes to them. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife, and he clothed them. Like, even in their disobedience, God was there to do what? Provide for them. He gives them clothing. He covers their shame and their nakedness. Even in their disobedience, it just shines through brightly. God is their provider. God loves to give good gifts to his children. So even when we've gone astray, even when we've messed up, even when we've fallen short, and we all have, God comes near to us. God provides just what we need. And again, there are consequences to our sin, but God is bigger. And God draws near. God, God clothes them in the garden, covering their shame. And it just reminds me of what Paul says in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When we are vulnerable, Jesus comes and clothes us. It's, it's knowing that we are loved by him. It's knowing that we are accepted. It's knowing that we are secure with God that gives us the courage to be vulnerable with one another. So let's come out of hiding. Let's know and be known in a way that God designed us to be. Let, let's take that step in the direction of our relationship goals to the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father for the truth of your word. Thank you for the story that we read from the dawn of humanity. That when Adam and Eve messed up and sinned and recognized their own shame and nakedness, that you clothed them, that you covered them, and that, Lord, you called them out of hiding. That you say the same thing to us today. You say, where are you? Why are you hiding? Stop with the facade of I'm so busy. Stop with the pretense of everything in my life is wonderful and perfect. Admit your need for God and for others. 
So Lord, thank you that you draw near to us even when we're at our lowest points. Thank you that you are a God who is filled with love and compassion. That you never fail us. That you have never let us down. That in a world where we will get hurt by others, that God, you never hurt us. You never fail us. You never disappoint us. You never leave us or abandon us, but you are near to us. That you hear us when we call to you. And so today is a day, Lord, that we cry out to you. God, we need you. We are desperate for you. In our struggles and strife and challenges, there's no way to get through it without your spirit to lift us, to sustain us, to guide us. And so, Lord, would you do that, please? Not just so that our lives can be cush and cozy, but, Lord, so that we would survive, so that we would make it through, so that we would endure to be able to say, God saw me through. And to him be the glory and the honor. So, Lord, do all of these things for your name, that your fame would expand and grow, that your kingdom would would grow. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be a part of that, Lord. Loosen our lips to speak of your goodness in this coming week, to be open and honest, and to keep our eyes always fixed on you, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.